Hey everyone, um, this is the final episode this season of Talk Your Talk with Alaska. Um, today I am speaking with Gary Suarez um, from the Cabbages newsletter. Gary is an excellent hip-hop journalist, has been doing this for a really long time. Um, I really love his coverage. He has a weekly newsletter. He has a podcast. Um, he's really sort of gone the cool independent route and... I wanted to take this time to actually feature Gary because I think what he does is very important and the way that he contributes to the culture is very important. Uh, we had a really cool conversation. It was a, a good long one, so I think you'll enjoy it. And um, yeah, I, I hope everybody digs what we did. All right. So um, so I guess to start things off, like what were your formative experiences with music like as, as, a, as a youngster, like you know, how did you come to music? Like, what did it mean to your life and, and sort of your growth as a person um, going from like a kid to an adult? I mean, it definitely started out digging through my parents' record collection. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm of a certain age where it was in fact vinyl, it was records. And as a kid, as a small kid, I was interested in those records. So you have these big, you know, vinyl sleeves and you have like this artwork and there's stuff happening. Um, on that so it's visually appealing and like as I got a little bit older sort of you know I'm you know, learning how to put the record on the player and being able to listen through and that sort of was around also when CDs started my my father was kind of in one of those like Columbia record clubs or one of those places so we would get things in the house and you know I definitely started out with my parents records in in a big way and a lot of that is like 60s and some 70s rock and folk stuff but also like cuban music and kind of and uh a lot of like latin stuff not a ton of jazz per se um it was not really huge in my house latin jazz more so than anything else but uh a lot of like what you would hear in classic rock stations was definitely a factor in there and then my mother's tastes were maybe a little more folky than my father's taste. So there was some of that in the mix. That was sort of like the very earliest stuff. And then the next step for me was radio. It was just like turning on the radio listening to that. So it kind of came into all the pop stuff. And I was just sort of obsessed with whatever I was hearing. This yeah. is all interesting to me. I was, you know, taping off of, you know, a double, I had one of those boo boxes, the double cassette. And I was taping off the radio and I was taping off of other tapes and I was using the little shitty microphone on the thing to record my own self. I'm hosting my own radio show. I'm doing cool. voices. I'm doing, you know, Ronald Reagan impressions. I'm doing like whatever things I saw on television trying to recreate. But I was always fascinated with, with that and always kind of focused on music. So that by the time I kind of got to, you know, got like my first Rolling Stone subscription as a gift for my parents to an adolescent, so preteen. It was like, I already had this desire and this interest in all of this. And so I consumed heavily from there. It's probably the best way to describe it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a similar story to a lot of people, I think in our age range, like the people that are really into music, it's always like, it started with vinyl eventually went to tape and shit off the radio and then like getting into your own stuff. Did, um, did you like have a, I mean, I, I remember growing up and like having a little like Fisher price cassette player that you could record on. 
and mm. I would hold that up to the radio to record music. Um, so I, I definitely feel that experience of of just wanting to capture everything. Um, you you mentioned getting a Rolling Stone subscription, um, and you know I remember for myself just how important magazines were um, for like learning about the music beyond the sound, learning about new bands, learning about new genres. Um, did that spark an interest in you that sort of led to where you are now? And, and were you like a bit of a magazine fiend? Uh, it was definitely had an impression. I hadn't ever thought, certainly not like in my, you know, if I'm 12 years old, I hadn't mm -hmm. thought like writing about music was going to be a thing that I was going to do. I wasn't necessarily like thinking about a music journalism career. But my behavior was very obsessive around music. Mm -hmm. I like, wanted to know as much as I could know. I poured over liner notes. I read every review in the back of Rolling Stone, any other music magazine I could get off of a newsstand that had an artist on the cover I was interested in. Mm -hmm. um, I had a cousin. I have a cousin who's uh, older than me. He's my, uh, my cousin, Kurt. And he gave me a gifted me one year a copy of what's called the trouser press guide and it is this fascinating document that they published a handful of times i think they did about four editions total and this one's from basically from the like the late it basically i think it's like right at the early maybe it's 90 or 91 mm -hmm. is when it was published and it's this like basically this kind of snarkily written series of reviews essentially of like quote unquote alternative music okay and in, and it covers a wide range of genres there's hip-hop stuff in there there's dance music stuff in there but it's from a very it's from like basically from like think about the mid 70s okay to 89 90 wow and that to me was just this bible and i went to this thing constantly so you'd read a review in a place like rolling stone and they would do a some basically like a recommended if you like it sort of mm -hmm. like they would name drop it a group and then i'd go to the trouser press guide and i'd read about that group like there's a reference point that i don't get but i started referring back to it so between that and the liner notes reading what are the bands that those bands are interested in what are the rappers that these rappers are into like who are they thanking who is featured here and there and it just it became that sort of behavior where like yes looking back it's sort of obvious to me that i would end up in something like this, but that wasn't how I was thinking. I wasn't mm -hmm. thinking that was something I could do. And I was writing back then. I was definitely like a creative writing kid. And I did, and I was definitely, uh, it was encouraged at home, but there wasn't any sort of sense that like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be, this is an almost famous. I'm not going to be a fucking Rolling Stone writer. <laughs> so when did you have that first inkling that like, maybe this is something that you would want to do? It was in college and you know, it wasn't, uh, I got really, I kind of, once I got into college, I started really thinking about ways in which I could take that sort of music obsessiveness mm -hmm. and apply it. So like I had a college radio show. I was just going to ask you if you had a college Like I had a college yeah. radio show. So wait, like where did you go that. to college and, and what was your radio uh, show? So I went to college in Boston and I okay. went to college at Boston University. Okay. And back in those days, like in high school, I'd really gotten deep into industrial music. Mm -hmm. And that had been like one of my favorite things. And so I went to college. I started like going to like the industrial nightclubs that they had up in Boston and in Cambridge. Uh, and so I did this radio show where the first hour of the radio show was sort of like 
the clubby EBM dance music industrial stuff that was happening, a lot of stuff that was coming out of Europe, mostly Western Europe, mm -hmm. uh, but also there were American acts doing things too. And it was an interesting time for that. And then that was hour one was that. And the second hour was sort of free form. Okay. That second hour could be like some like, you know, could be some really experimental Japanese record, or it could be like an artist like Muslim gauze, or it could be uh, a Prince Paul thing. It could be handsome boy modeling school. And mm -hmm. I sort of just left it open and decided if someone was doing something interesting, because it was like 1 a.m. The second yeah. hour was like one to two. So it was me and my friends, essentially. Whoever was yeah. listening are just the guys back in the dorm and maybe some other weirdos. So I I was just enjoying how much I could I could do and justify people sending me free records and writing. And then the writing component from that came because at that same time we were in this sort of this is like, you know, I, I weirdly predate the blog era. Mm -hmm. in terms of how we talk about it in hip-hop i predate that so i'm not part of that because i was part of something else that was before that sh took shape and it was sort of we had what were called like e-zines so mm -hmm. it was the zine mentality but it's then like okay wow. we're doing like electronic versions of an e-zine so email okay. e-zine that was the lingo we were using so we're like predating what we talked about is like what a blog was mm -hmm. this is like 1999 2000 okay and at that point, I would just like, I was writing reviews for like publications that don't exist, but I started writing for this one that was based in Massachusetts uh, called brainwash.com. And okay. it's one of those very unsung sites that was very influential. Brainwash hosted like websites for a lot of really amazing experimental artists and like people who, who did incredible things, uh, a lot of British avant-garde people. Uh, a lot of uh, really fascinating artists, but they also had a uh, like a on Sundays they would publish a column, if you will, mm -hmm. called the Brain, and the Brain was just a series of reviews written by people, and the only rule for it, other than you had to be chosen to write for this for this thing by the the guy who ran it, John Whitney, was that like you couldn't cover major label okay. music. There was no major labels allowed. So it was focused on independent. And he was getting tons of promos. So he would like send me stuff. I was getting things so I could cover it. And so that's like, I wrote there about all sorts of stuff. And that's like where a lot of my um, my first hip hop writing is, which most okay. is, is kind of hard to find. And some people definitely feel free to go look through it, but you'll find some pretty lousy takes on some things. <laughs> you know, I, I really fucking hated like, the streets original pirate radio when i basically came at it with this like fuck this british rap bullshit um i also like had didn't really get anti-pop consortium at the time mm -hmm. i was wrong but i didn't get it at the time yeah and like there's a lot of stuff and then at the same time i'm like praising cormega and i'm also writing about like a lot of what was called idm so like your apex twins and square mm -hmm. pusher and those types of things and then i was i did like i kind of went through all these different phases and it was basically the it was like i was doing it for free mm -hmm. but i was writing like a couple of reviews a week here and there and i did that for a number of years and after i got out of college i kept doing it and then you know that was sort of the beginning of of that so if you think of like my when i say like i've been writing for more than two decades it starts with this sort of unpaid work that was really for other music nerds. And I was often talking about hip hop to folks who 
were not people who, like me, being from New York, had their experiences with hip hop were sort of at arm's length. And I'm saying, yeah. well, this is, might be interesting to you. you. This is actually really yeah. good. You should check this out. Very cool. So, so that was like kind of your start in writing, right? Mm. Um, so when when you were starting up, like I think back to like when like me and my friends first started rapping. Sure. Like, you know, first I wanted to rap like Lord Finesse. Like I was really into punchlines. I loved like the way that he would like spell his name um, when he rapped. Like I was just sort of enamored with all that. But eventually like we all sort of like got together and like collectively bit like the Cellar Dwellers, Freestyles on Bobito, Souls mm-hmm. of Mischief, like that whole style before finding our own voice. And and I think that's very common with, with like artists in general. Uh, is Is it similar with you know, from a writer's perspective and a journalist perspective, like, are there, there writers that you sort of admired when you were first starting and kind of ape their style in order to find your own style? I so had sort like, of like fathers to your style, I guess, to steal from like ODB. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, uh, you know, a lot of times when people ask about sort of influences and I, I ask, obviously as an interviewer, I ask people about their influences. Mm-hmm. And to, to be honest, like I wasn't like, um, a Lester Bangs guy. I wasn't like worshiping the writers of these publications. I read these publications without really paying attention to bylines. My influence very much goes back to that Trouser Press Guide because the Trouser Press oh. Guide was opinionated. It wasn't mm. just like a Wikipedia-esque encyclopedic thing. It was like, this record fucking sucks. This record of theirs is a little better, but generally this band should be avoided. And okay. that's just like documented and updated with each edition mm. to reflect that. And I loved that. And one of the beauties of writing for Brainwashed was that like he didn't care if you wrote a negative review because we weren't trying to impress anybody. Yeah. Obviously, some of these indies were going to be disappointed if we came back and said like, wow, actually, this Vincent Gallo record is awful. But, you know, <laughs> Vincent Gallo made awful music. So yeah. he deserved that. But I, I just bring that up because where I didn't like look to a particular writer. I had absorbed so much of what I was reading. I wasn't thinking like, oh, this person is doing the right thing. And then I was also reading all the same shit that like somebody reads in their late teens and early twenties, your Hunter S. Thompson's and William Burroughs. Like I worked in the library in college. And so like, I basically just sat at the desk and read all the sort of subversive stuff you're supposed Mm -hmm. to read. You know, I did all the 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 requisite checkboxes, and like then we had like Brett Easton Ellis and things like that, and stuff that I won't even touch today in some of those cases. Yeah. But like I, that, all kind of I, I was more of like a sponge rather than sort of looking to someone saying I want to be like this person because mm-hmm. I still at that stage didn't see that as a career. I didn't see that as a thing like I want to write like this person. This was just my way of expressing myself, and it was fun. Mm-hmm. So, so when did, when did that sort of transition happen from going from, this is something that's fun to, this is something that I could do as a career. So I, I, um, I slowed down a bit in the two thousands. I was mm-hmm. DJing in the two thousands at industrial clubs. And that was always fun. I was still writing, but I wrote a little less. Then I stopped DJing. I got married and it was, uh, it was a difficult marriage. Mm-hmm. I um, started looking for ways to escape mm. my unhappiness. And I started writing for a heavy metal blog called Metal Sucks. Okay. 
I remember that. And I was, and I was basically, it was a site that was largely pseudonymous. So meaning everybody who wrote for that site pretty much used a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And I was a reader of the site and I enjoyed it. And I was in the comment section and found it to be a, a fun thing because I was really, I was hanging out with people who were into heavy metal and I was kind of embracing a lot of this stuff again, you know, the kind of things that you listen to as a kid. And I was really getting into a lot of the, like, it was like this newer wave of noise rock artists who were coming up and, you know, you know, I had been somebody like, I saw like Jesus Lizard open for Rage Against the Machine in the mid nineties at Roseland and like, you know, having seen, you know, you see a show like that and it has a formative influence. So like I started writing for this thing basically for free and okay. I was just like, this is fun and this is an escape. And then like I started expanding that. I wrote a lot about hardcore and I started really getting back into going to hardcore shows and more so like I went to, you know, this is hardcore the festival in Philadelphia. I went there like every year for like a decade. Wow. You know, so I would go down there all the time and like, there's a lot of like crossover in terms of hip hop fandom and hardcore definitely fandom and so like you sort of see that so it felt like a place where someone like me who isn't really bound to one particular genre or style could uh could go and and feel and feel like it was a good experience mm -hmm. also i was you know drinking a lot back then and you know enjoying drugs recreationally um and so it was a good party <laughs> <laughs> that's like i was not straight edge by any stretch of the imagination so like no X's on your hands. No, no, no. I washed yeah. those things off basically yeah. whenever I could. When I was <laughs> younger, alcohol. I did. Yeah. I mean, I was going to clubs when I was like 16 in New York. It's mm -hmm. like I was going to clubs and you go into a place and it's just like, okay, you just go to the bathroom and you just wash the thing off and drub it until I also was able to grow like a mustache and a beard basically from like the age of 12. So it okay. was really so I could buy everybody their cigarettes. Nice. When they were looking at, at cards, I could probably get away with getting to a lot of different places. That worked out for me really well. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah it was it that was a it was that writing for that blog had been a really interesting way for me to express how I was feeling and then when I got divorced uh sometime after that my relationship with that blog sort of changed they were you know as as folks do their priorities changed my weird columns and things that I was writing they sort of were more interested sort of like my hot take kind of stuff. And, and I was getting paid at that point, not a lot, but I was getting paid per post or I had okay. like a, a, I had like sort of like a, a monthly uh, commitment of, you know, write X number of things and we'll pay you X amount, but it still wasn't much, but I was getting paid something. And then from there, it was like, well, what do I do? I sort mm -hmm. of said like, I don't really want to keep doing this and they don't really want the things I want to write about. And so I stopped. At the same time, I was listening to a lot of hip hop and had no outlet to write about this stuff. So I kind of used my experience from kind of having done the blogging stuff and having done all this writing for like Brainwash back in the day. And I reached out to The Quietest, it was a British publication, uh, independent UK based publication, sort of as a reader. I pitched, uh, I think, a first thing I wrote for them was um, I either wrote, the first thing I wrote for them was either a review of, Chief Keefe's Finally Rich or uh, Joe Budden's No Love Lost. Okay. And it was allowing me to sort of take all the stuff that I had learned about how to structure my arguments and how to write about this stuff. And so much of what I had written had been, you know, not necessarily being judged on the merits of the writing. I was just allowed to kind of to play and to build and to practice. Mm -hmm. So when I got to sort of this, this site, you know, Quietus is sort of, 
I always kind of to, to gently, you know, rib them and say sort of like quasi-academic is sort of the tone of that site. Mm -hmm. You know, the way they write about things, like everybody who writes for that site went to college or if I went to university, I should yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um uh and they're lovely guys and I, I I think they're I think they're great, but they really put me on and they basically mm -hmm. said, like, we like what you do, and they gave me a chance to write a monthly column. Okay. And that's really where it, it truly started for me. So it wasn't just like I was writing hip hop reviews here and there for this small niche thing. Now I was writing for, I was basically explaining on a monthly basis, American hip hop to a UK and European audience. Mm. And there were American readers too of the site, but like, it was sort of like, I'm explaining to you what's happening right now. Yeah. And I'm going to explain it through mixtapes that I'm listening to off of Daft Piff. And I'm going to explain it to you through albums that are coming out through independent places and I'm also going to shit on Drake and I'm also going to shit on major label stuff that I think is bullshit. And I'm yeah. going to just say what I fucking feel. And it's funny because it was where I could combine the, the snark that I had developed as a blogger in the heavy metal space with sort of the reviewing, you know, music critic approach that I had done earlier. And it just sort of clicked from there. And so, so did you have like a, a full-time job at this time or was this like, oh, yeah. now you're like full on? No. Oh, I had a job. Are you kidding? <laughs> this is not, this is not something that you do as you're like, I got to just be clear. Like I, my path to this is like, I've hopefully have made clear. This is not traditional. Yeah. I didn't, I've never worked a staff job at any publication. I've never been on staff on salary. I've been a freelancer my entire writing career. Okay. And remain that way, except for cabbages, obviously, yeah. which is mine. Yeah. But I have always been a freelancer. I have okay. always held a day job through this, except when I had been out of work. Okay. So like I was working in like throughout the, I was working, I worked in book publishing for years and I was like, had office jobs and I had staff and everything. And then I got laid off okay. and then I started doing marketing consulting work and you know just doing things you know separately and i was working for you know in hospitality on a marketing side and like i was doing all these different things and kind of i had writing on the side was sort of kind of in my brain you're right on the mm -hmm. side and then it really wasn't until in the 2010s when i started actually getting paid more and more to do the work that i was doing that trying out full-time freelance was even an option and it really i only did it because i was out of work it was a necessity okay. to be full-time freelance um but it's like yeah i i've never it, it when it and i'll say this when it was my full-time job quote unquote when it was that it was a disaster it was like i made no money made the le less least amount of money i've ever made in my life um and it was just like i was in dire straits yeah I, I relate to that story because there was a nice four-year window where I tried to do this full-time and I was like, this is making me hate everything about this. Yeah, you yeah. really start to lose the love for it when you're just like, and the thing about writing, of course, is is the, the maddening aspects of it are, you know, people owe you money all the time. Yeah. And sometimes they're owed you money because the structure is what we pay 30 days, 60 days after the piece mm. goes live and you invoice, you know. Yeah. So it's like, I could have written this piece. Maybe it goes up the next day. Maybe it goes up two weeks. Maybe it goes through an, a long editing process, whatever. But you end up with a lot of people owing you money at particular times. And it, the check's not necessarily coming in, say, when rent is due. Yeah, when you need it. Or when I need to pay that credit card. 
mm. or when I need to eat. <laughs> like all the like some days is be really is feast or famine. And so even if I'm getting like really amazing bylines and getting to be in these publications and editors are like eager to work with me, I'm still like, who do I talk to in accounting? Wow. Who do I talk to, to to get me paid for this? And there are publications that I ended up just refusing to work for because they were so fast and loose with the fucking money. And they were so quick to just like to ghost you on payment that Jesus. it's like, I'm not playing this game anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm, an, I'm an adult. I have responsibilities. I can't, I can't, I can't live that way. So a day job has always been very important to me. Having like a day job or like a steady contract gig, something that guarantees a certain amount of money coming in so that I'm not dependent on the accounting department at a media company. Mm -hmm. And as you know, these days, these companies crumble. And I can tell you right now, try to collect. I would love to see, try to collect from if you're a freelancer who's uh wrote for paste wrote for yeah. you know buzzfeed news also says i wish you the best of luck if you have if there is accounts if the accounting department owes you money good luck good luck yeah good it's luck it's, it was kind of like that with indie rap you know sure. like once the label goes it's like well that's over yeah i mean yeah. like in the in the idea of like relying on relying on other people's ability to pay you yeah it's such a it's such a frightening thing it is. And it's not like it's the opposite of of like having a diverse investment portfolio where you're like, if I invest in these different areas, then if some do poorly and some do better, I'll probably come out come in a out, good yeah. place in the, the long end of the day, term. It'll be a wash. Yeah. In worst. freelance writing, it's like you're always behind the eight ball. No matter how many outlets you stretch your work across, everybody owes you money. There are people who owe me money right now. Yeah. Like right now, who are overdue on payments to me. God damn. Like right now. And yeah. I don't even freelance that much anymore. But right now, I could call them out, but I would like that money. Uh, so, <laughs> no, you you know. I mean, we could hold it until you get it and then we could. I'll follow the channel. I'll follow the channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like the reality is like it's still that way. So I have to have some kind of steady work. Mm-hmm. I have to have some kind of steady work. I mean, I have a, a friend who, who writes um, uh, Zachary Lopez. And he's actually the guy who turned me on to Billy Woods. Okay. Years ago, years ago, back when I was writing the quietest column, he was like, I think you will like this. Yeah. And it was like, and turned me on from there. And I was a fan from that point on. Did it, did it take you a while to get Woods? Well, the first time I heard the record, I got it. I understood. It really? Like it. it took me a while. Like, you got to understand, like, my taste also in, in hip hop was this weird combination of like, yes, I grew up in New York. So yes, I had all this exposure to the 80s. And mm-hmm. the 90s and what I was hearing and in, in around me, you know, and then to the 2000s, you know, like I have I have all that, but I also have these weird tendencies again. I talk about like being really into industrial music. And yeah. so like if you were doing hip hop, but you were doing it a little weird, quote unquote, or you were doing approaching it in a way that maybe was a little more uh left of center, I was more interested in what you were doing mm. than perhaps a traditionalist. So like you know, I'm not like, you know, when we get into like the very tiresome goat debates that happen, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's cool. You can say like, so-and-so is like, was hugely successful and has amazing bars, but I'm just like, I, I would say like, I bring up anti-pop again, like Beans is one of the most incredible God. lyricists, flow wise, everything. Yep. And he never is in those conversations. And my argument is just like, 
if you put, if you actually, like, if you really, if you put in like isolation, if you put Jay-Z and fucking beans of anti-pop consortium up against each other. Yeah. I don't know that Jay-Z comes out on top. No. I don't know if he comes out on top. Yeah. And I was always really appreciative of these people who were doing, who were doing things from a little different perspective. It's why I enjoyed Prince Paul. It's why okay. I enjoyed Cool Keith. It's why to this day, I enjoy groups like Clipping. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy when somebody is not necessarily doing this in the way that's been prescribed. At the same time, I love a lot of traditionalists. I love a lot of yeah. people who do this their way. I'm a big fan of the Griselda cinematic universe, as I frequently call it when I write about <laughs> it. It's like, yes, I love that stuff because that yeah. is in my that's in my DNA. It's in my listening DNA. But I also really love the oddities. So that's why a lucid is interesting to me. It's why I get into a lot of stuff that comes out on backwoods or like purple tape pedigree. Mm. You know, a lot of these things I fall in with these artists. And it's why, like, for me, I I caught on to, you know, this is not me bragging, but like I caught on to Fatboy Sharif maybe somewhat earlier than some other folks did mm-hmm. because when I heard him, it immediately hit me like this is unusual and interesting and really well executed. And I want to know more about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got onto him kind of quickly. Um, he was friends with life long who I'm friends sure. with. And I just used to see him like popping up in life posts. And I checked him out. I was like, Oh, this is good. This is real cool. But yeah, for some reason woods, it took me like three albums to get it. And when mm. I got it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I was like, okay, I get this now. Like I get why people love this. Um, I just wasn't there. And it took me a while to get to that space. Like same thing happened to me with freestyle fellowship. Like I didn't mm-hmm. appreciate them for like 20 years. Yeah. And then one day you, I was like, this is the best thing ever. You know what I didn't appreciate for 20 years? Like 90% of what came out on deaf jokes. Oh yeah. I was like, I, I can respect it on some level but the majority of what i heard was like this is not what i reach for yeah like i, I was that. like that that merzen ninth wonder record yeah like my favorite thing that ever came out on Def jokes i love that record I, my I still, favorite thing yeah I, I think it's one of the best things that and i i really like rob's records yeah and again it's like yeah. over time i have actually learned to appreciate some other folks but i don't have like the like i don't have the sort of reverence for lp mm. musically that I'll be able, I respect a lot of what he's done yeah. and, but like, I, I'm not, I like, I'm very much on the record as someone who does not like run the jewels. I think run the jewels is the worst of both of them. Um, and I, and I know I'm in the minority, but I absolutely feel that mm. way. Um, but it's like, I recognize that time falls into these things. You can sort of understand. So like, yeah. again, it took me a while before I realized like how brilliant had pop consortium were. Yeah, not just how groundbreaking, but how actually genuinely brilliant they they were, and I'm I'm 100 on board. I'm a I'm a stand for those guys now. Yeah, those, those guys are so special. So so let me ask you: Did you ever have the opposite thing? Because I know a lot of like the the underground cats that I came up with, like there was the the, the strong hatred for anything commercial, mm-hmm. and now you know, 25 years later, we all sort of look at it like, oh no, we were wrong on a lot of this stuff. Like, do you have, do you have those moments as well? Like, I mean, like, you know, like Biggie was the villain in our circles and now it's like, you kind of can't deny that he's an amazing artist. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I had tons of like, I didn't like Raekwon's first record when it came out. Cause it wasn't like, it wasn't stretching Bob Beto underground enough for me, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I, I was obviously way wrong on those things. 
I, I definitely have the things that I was a pretentious, you know, person <laughs> kid about as a teen. You know, again, there's that punk rock mentality that goes yeah. in there too, where you just sort of just like, yeah, what's real is that. But like, I was also a radio person, and I loved. I listened to anything that was coming out on the radio, and I listened to all sorts of stuff. And like, I wasn't like, it, like I wasn't at a certain stage. I'm like, I'm not really a fan of so much pop music per se. And I'm not going to say the shiny suit era is my favorite period in hip hop history by any stretch of the imagination. But like, I was never like arms crossed about somebody like Biggie or or Nas. I had also a lot of very fierce New York. Uh, allegiances as well so i was sort of like that i had way more of an attitude about kind of the so-called perceived backpacker sort of stuff the stuff that was less interesting to me i really preferred a more avant a truly like avant-garde outsider trying to figure out a rap thing or like really being impressed by cool keith being such an iconoclast Mm -hmm. in in all this like to me like if you ask me who the best rapper of all time is I'm probably going to say cool Keith and it's not on technical ability necessarily. And it's not on commercial success, but what he did is just so across the ultra magnetic records yeah. and into those two records he did in the nineties and early two thousands is just like, there's nothing like that. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing like that. And you, you people have tried to emulate it and yeah. they come across embarrassing. It's yeah. just like, that is to me, like when I can go back to any of those records you know, to, to Matthew, to um, to Lost in Space, Black Elvis, you know, to the Doctor Doom record. Like, I like the Doctor Doom record more than the Doctor Octagon record. Really? Like, that's, that's, oh yeah, that's like my favorite Cool Keith record. Um, and, you know, with that pen and pixel artwork as well, actual pen and pixel artwork. I did yeah. confirm that with the guys at pen and pixel once. I was like, wow. you guys actually did that, right? Yes, that is us. That's amazing. Amazing. So, you know, I guess it's like, I recognize that I have the sort of like contrary things that have gone on in there, but I also know like my opinions have changed. Like I wouldn't, I'm glad that a lot of my writing in like from like 2001 is not really like accessible to people because like there's some takes that are embarrassing as shit. Yeah. I was wrong. How could I not be wrong? Tell me that a 22 year old's opinions are right. On anything. On anything. Yeah. One out of 10. Good (laughs) luck. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad that there wasn't social media when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was glad. That, I'm glad about that too. There's a lot of stuff that's like not our. We had like we had like um, groups, so like Yahoo, we had Yahoo groups, and um, obviously we had like message boards, like um, uh, like Usenet groups, like uh, like Rec Music Industrial is one I spent a lot of time yeah. on back in the day. Like, so we had those existed, and like, but those have been so buried by the internet. And they're like tied a lot of times are tied to like your, your college email addresses. And like, they're like three different like monikers (laughs) later, just your, your usernames. It's just, so so we're lucky our generation, you and I are not that far off in age, but our generation who sort of predate the terminally online social media uh, era got lucky that a lot of our stupid fucking ideas and opinions are not like out there on main. No, exactly. We're we're very fortunate on that front. So let me ask you this. Um, what is something that you want people like outside of the world of like criticism and journalism to know about? Like sort of like what's the from an insider perspective, like what's important about this? Like, you know, a lot of us are like, you know, we kind of read it. We sometimes just read it to get mad about things. Other times we read it for insight. But like what is like, what is something that you hope people get from your work? 
I think that there's this idea that like criticism doesn't matter because of streaming and that everybody has access to it. I largely think of it as a nonsense argument because criticism has little to do with access. True criticism is not that. You lose some of the service journalism aspect of it, meaning the recommendation, you should listen to this, is there. But my main value is this, is that like most of what is being served to you on streaming platforms is not only the, you know, what the algorithm deems, but it is predominantly major label content. Mm -hmm. And that means that most of what you are consuming or being, or being shown is stuff that is still catering to the same power structures that have existed for a long time. What I hope people can get from the work that I do, which focuses largely on independent artists in hip hop is something a bit more democratic where it's like, here is my taste. Here's what I think is good. Here's what I recommend. Here's what I think you might enjoy and write about it in such a way where it isn't just like, Hey, you like West side gun. You should listen to this record. So mm -hmm. it's purely that sort of service journalism mentality. I think pinks can be written about this music. Um, and it deserves the same sort of, uh, uh, language and attention that rock got for years from music publications and that um especially because this is you know or that jazz got and continues to get i think hip-hop being a model is being viewed as a monolith um is incorrect yeah it is monolithic in terms of the size of industry and the its, its influence and scope but it is made up of you know couple hundred different scenes, groupings, subgenres, and categories. And I think that's really where a critic, regardless of who it is, can actually really thrive. Do we need 30 publications to review a Drake record? No. You're go if you are interested in a Drake record at this stage, yeah. you are going to listen to a Drake record. Would I write an Entertainment Weekly about a Drake record and I have reviewed it for entertainment before, is not going to be the needle mover for you. I am commenting on culture at that point. Mm -hmm. So your argument that you don't need me to tell you to listen to whether or not to listen to a Drake record, it's not even the point of that. There's two points to that. One is this is a thing that exists out here. And as art, it needs to be critiqued, mm -hmm. whether it's a movie or a television show or a performance artist or Broadway theater, whatever. It's like, this is music. This is the one of the most popular artists of the time. It needs to have some sort of coverage to it. And the second reason uh, is to get me paid, is that there is a, <laughs> the only way that the writers get money is when they write about things that editors and publications think you as the reader want to read, mm -hmm. you want to consume. That's all it is. So you can the, I want people to take away that there is actually can be a value to writing about art, even if it's something that you already have an opinion on before you've even listened to it, or that you are going to reach for it no matter what you read about it. So let me ask you this, because th this kind of ties into the, the Drake thing. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that there are projects that come out now that are solely coming? Like, I think of like the Kendrick album like mm -hmm. the Kendrick album that just came out um, or like the Black Thought album with not the, not the one with L. Michael's affair, which is pretty damn good, but mm -hmm. the one with, um, with Danger Mouse, Danger Mouse. They're kind of these event albums 
mm-hmm. that only seem to be events in journalism. Like I don't ever hear anybody talking about those albums organically. Like they seem to be like take machines. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that there is an element of like major label that feeds into that system? And it's like this sort of symbiotic system of generating content to keep people's eyes on things when nobody actually cares about it. Well, it's funny. Uh, short answer. Yes. Um, longer answer is like, I remember the first time I think it was um, who wrote it. Uh, Justin Charity wrote a piece about, um, about Butterfly, mm-hmm. about Kendrick's Butterfly, and basically said, like, do we really like this record? This is like months after it came out. Do we actually like this record? Or are we just like blowing smoke? And sort of kind of came out sort of to say, like, maybe I actually don't like this record. Mm. And it was interesting to me because it was like, it was like inside baseball. It's like, I'm writing for the journalists and critics. I'm writing for those people who have felt this obligation to write about this sort of, you know, generationally admired artist mm-hmm. who whose story and whose approach has made him a natural fit for journalistic narratives. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, I'm always wary of narrative. Drake is a narrative I'm wary of. Mm-hmm. Kendrick is a narrative that I'm I'm wary of for different reasons. And like, you know, sort of like when you deify these people as this as this happens, you write so much about them that they become larger than the thing that they are. Then it's like, what do you end up with? What is the value? What is the value of that? And at the end of the day, it's like, how many times are you going to go back and read somebody's critical essay about? Mr. Morale and the Big Snappers. Yeah. Beyond the first opening weeks. Are you going to go back to that? When was the last time you went back and read a review of Damn? When was the last time you read a review of To Pimp a Butterfly? Ultimately, these things tend to exist to be there in the moment to capture your eyes and to serve ad impressions, mm-hmm. even with the best of intentions in terms of a writer's perspective and committing to writing serious thoughtful engaging criticism on a subject or even the more cynical listicles that come out every time these things uh publish you know the 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 10 best verses the 10 best features on or somebody fucking dies yeah and billboard fuck you billboard bill i've written for them before uh billboard puts (laughs) up like an in memoriam listicle which requires no thought. It's just purely algorithmic. It's purely yeah. to make sure it's SEO friendly, which fucking makes me sick. I have a lot of issues with death content, as I call it. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that it absolutely is driven for all the wrong reasons. And that is a lot of what I was why I, it's part of why I created cabbages. It's sort of like I, I had to, you know, do something against that system because like that system pays me. Yeah but it also can suck your fucking soul out. How And I still do this stuff. Like I still like contribute to lists and things. Like people are like the hundred best hip hop whatevers. Mm-hmm. And I get asked to do these things. And I'm not turning down paydays, but I'm not going to say it's my, my passion. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's the thing that makes me excited to be a writer, but it's also the sort of thing where like maybe my, it keeps my name out there in the mm-hmm. right publications or when people still care about these publications. I, do you but think no, that cynical? Yeah. 
well, well like with the hundred best records type of things mm. like um i don't somebody did one recently and and mosey reeves wrote a, a bunch of the reviews in it and it seemed like his goal was to to get unheralded records talked about mm-hmm. so i think i mean i think in those types of cases like even though it's cynical it like it helps fight the cynicism when you could bring attention to like certain records that might not normally get attention. I think there was a time where I believed in, you know, the sort of what can you get done from the inside? Mm-hmm. And I think in those cases, if you have a confident voice and you state what you state and you handle a certain way, like many times with those sorts of lists that come out, a writer is asked to present their personal list first mm-hmm. and then things get whittled from there. So strategically, when I'm given those opportunities, I go like, okay, yes, there obviously have to be some things that I think are universal, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, we're doing a list. We're talking about this thing. Maybe something that sh- historically would have been lower on a list should be higher. Mm-hmm. And then you use your opportunity to rank that higher. Yeah. And then that signals something to an editor that maybe this is worth considering. Years ago, I did one of these lists at, um, I contributed to one of these lists at Consequence of Sound. And it was like, kind of like the best, something like, it might've been like a best hip hop uh, or rapper debut albums or something like that. It might've been in just the nineties or it might've been like uh, throughout history or whatever. And I did this thing where I was just like advocating and like, if Lil Kim's not in the top 10, like I'm not fucking doing this. I'm like, I'm just not fucking, I bullied it. And, yeah. and if you, you can find it online, it's up there. And people in the comments and there's are just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I'm like, yeah, let's like, let your misogyny out. Like just let it out. Yeah. Let it the fuck out. Let it flow. Because there's enough people who are looking at that are going to see otherwise. And then in some of these cases, it's just like, because I have all these sort of, you know, independent artists who I care about it, just like, if we're talking about like, let's say there's a best New York hip hop list. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, there's certain artists I want to make sure are on that list. Historically, they certainly get certain coverage, but I'm like, okay, at what point are we going to allow Billy Woods into that list? Yeah. And Elucid. What a point are we going to allow Def Jokes artists onto those lists? At what point are we going to allow Rat King and Wiki mm-hmm. onto those lists? Yeah. At some point, it's just like, Yes, we have you know 50 years of history, but we have to start actually recognizing that Mark. yes, Africa Babat is very important, but he also is alleged to have molested many kids. Maybe take him off the fucking list and put yeah. somebody else in his spot. Well, just being like, yes, Planet Rock is a hugely important song, but we don't we've said it already. Yeah. How many times do we need to, to recognize that? Yeah. You know. So I I I you can I do agree that there are opportunities to uh to use those very cynical things that exist these lists that exist purely for seo really they're just there so that way when you look up something it shows up higher in a ranking and it's just you know evergreen content on a site for years and years and years but there is an opportunity for writer to to do something but also at the end of the day it's still consensus at the end of the day you're still going to see the same artists in the top three yeah you're still going to see the same artists in the top 10, top 20 for most of these lists. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these lists are also designed to spark debate, 
controversy yelling online because it just draws more attention. It draws more attention. Everybody who yells about a Rolling Stone list, and I've been on, I've written Rolling Stone lists. People have yelled about in in hip hop, in reggaeton. I've I've written things like this, and those people yell about this shit, and you're just like, don't you understand the fucking point? Yeah. Have you figured out by now? Yeah. Have you figured out by now? The whole point is for you to be like, fuck the writers in this place. They don't know shit about hip hop. It's like, (laughs) how many how many black writers and Hispanic writers, Latino writers, writers of color. Adrian, how many did you just dismiss because you saw that the the publication didn't look at the bylines? Yeah, their opinions are bullshit. Rosso doesn't know fucking shit about this. You know what is what does Vice know about this? What is about? Like, like, yes, as an institution, you can absolutely ask those questions. But if you think that like complaining about the ranking of hip hop albums or songs or or artists, you know, exists for you not to complain about them, I assure you. They exist to for you to complain about. Tell everybody that it's the worst list you've ever seen. I guarantee you will get more views if you say that. Yeah, it would probably be a failure if everybody agreed and was like, oh, that's great. Let's not talk about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. It, it's, it's designed to make you angry. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a much stronger emotion. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So you you kind of brought this up and, and I derailed the conversation. We started talking about cabbages. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm here. That's all. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're all here. We're we're eventually like building to this, right? This is the culmination. Um, So, you know, what was, what was the initial inspiration behind cabbages? Like what made you decide to, to take this route? Uh, I, it's a couple of different things that had sort of been circulating for me, but I think the key thing was this, is I was writing, I got to the point where I was writing for a lot of different publications I was writing for like noisy. I was writing. For, I mean, I wrote for I wrote for nearly every publication in music I never wanted to write for, and then some. So like, there wasn't there are very few music publications that I haven't had a byline in at this point, and I'm very fortunate, very lucky, mm-hmm. very lucky. And I always have people who ask me like, "What's the secret?" I'm like, "It's luck. It's luck and file clean copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like file clean copy, and an editor loves you. File clean copy on time, and they'll never stop asking you to work for them. You know." I'm not always great about the on time. Sorry. But um, I had this profile in this very small way get elevated and also being a loud mouth on Twitter. So like I'm a loud mouth on Twitter and then I post a link to my article, maybe you read it. Mm-hmm. So that's a cycle. That's a thing that happens there. But that profile, and, you know, and I say it from a very platform, I'm saying it the most modest way I can would also have people who were unsigned and independent artists would reach out to me and say, Hey, I, you know, I like your work. Um, I'm working. I did this song. Can you check it out? And I'd always be in this position where there's nothing I could do with the song. If I liked it, there's nothing I could do with this album. If I liked it, I had over time, I'd been able to finagle certain things like, the column in the quietest where I had free reign to write about any of these things I was listening to. Or when I wrote for vinyl me, please, I did like a, a electronic music column for them. And I could basically take a very broad definition of electronic music and be like, yes, we can talk about, you know, a bigger thing, but like, here's a strange little record. that's like a, a 300 copy tape run. That's like super interesting. And it sounds like it's like a new age record. I'm like, what's electronic. I can get away with that. So I, I always tried to find things where I could, but for the most part, and especially in hip hop, I was in a position where I was writing on these subjects, but you, I'd be hard pressed to be able to give the attention to that or to give it a space to write about. And I thought about that a lot, about how to 
how how could I give attention to that independent artist or that self-released artist who's doing something that I think is really good? And tweeting about it certainly was was helpful to be able to be like, hey, I heard this, you might like it, check it out. And you know, that that was all well and good. But then it was also the shrinking media industry where uh, publications I would write for would go through restructurings or they'd get bought by venture capitalists and get sold for scrap. And I started really just saying, I can't rely on these outlets to be consistent for me as a, as a place to write because they could go away tomorrow. And I've seen so many of them go away or become diminished. You know, like Vice, there's an article in the Times that like Vice is now on the verge of bankruptcy, of yeah. announcing bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, probably by the time this airs, it probably will have filed for bankruptcy publicly. And, the, the I, and you know, 10 years ago, there was hardly any writer in my, you know, in my grouping who didn't want to write for, for Vice, who didn't want to be there. And we didn't want to be associated with that. And loads of rappers wanted to be written up in Vice. Yeah. And it was a thing where like, if I'm pitching a thing to, to somebody, if they see that was, was there, it's, it was, oh, well, I would like to be in that publication. It happened a lot when I, I wrote for Forbes for a number of years, again, mm -hmm. in, in a freelance, I was a, considered a contributor. I had sort of a contract with them. Um, and I was, you know, tell me a rapper, he didn't want to be interviewed in Forbes. Like, yeah. they, it was like, I could have like a great conversation with these folks. I talked to a lot of artists, you know, who I otherwise would have had a hard time getting for other publications because it's like, oh, it's Forbes. This is status. This means something to me. Yeah. But everything is shrinking. And so in like in like 2019, I started thinking like I should, I have to find some some way. And that was sort of where towards the end of 2019, there was a lot of discussion about newsletters and Substack and whatnot. So I jumped on a Substack and I did my first issue of Cabbages on like January 1st or January 2nd, 2020. And it was just like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to just try to do this thing I've been trying to do to yeah. give some attention to, to artists. That's the impetus for it. That's where this, this, this all began. It was the, that motivation of my industry is shrinking and I don't own any of my work. I hardly own any of my work because everything is, is I'm writing an article. I'm pay, giving them for in exchange for money. I'm giving them the rights to own that article in perpetuity. So I don't own this, I don't own this writing. And then all these artists who are like, I really like what you write. I make music. Would you be interested in, in, in talking to me? And it's like, sometimes I'd be able to read right back to them and say like, I, I can't do anything for you. Like, it's just nothing for you. I don't know what to say. Like hire a publicist. Uh, and I'm not even saying that's going to be the solution, but it's just like, if at least you hire a publicist then the editor will hear your name. Yeah. And maybe that might help if they hear it enough times. That maybe this is something they should they should check out or give some attention to. So it's hard. It was hard, and so like I started this based on 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 those two two factors. So and now that now that it's pretty established, it's three years about now, a little over three years. This is year four. This we we've year done. Four. We started in twenty. It started in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So like so like basically the start of this yeah, year. Like we we've done three years. We're like three full years in, in three, three full years. We're in our fourth. Yeah. Okay. So I say I say our, which is funny because it's it's me. It's, it's you in yeah. my fourth. Yeah. But it feels nice to say our. It does. It feels it feels sort of very like you have a team. Yeah, like there's a team. Yeah, you're, yeah there's you're a full team working there with you. So you're looking at it. And Jeff and Jeff, of and course, Jeff, on the yeah. podcast. 
So Jeff, so, Jeff is his podcast. He has a right. right so site, you so. you've expanded. You have a podcast now. Yes, yes. You have a few different newsletters come out a week. Um, yep. You know, what is your goal for the for cabbages now? Has that goal evolved? Do you do you see it as something that you want to grow to be bigger? Um, like you know, your own little media empire. Um, what kind of sort of trajectory do you see cabbages going on? I mean, I face a lot of the same challenges that like the newsletter industry outside of music, the newsletter mm-hmm. industry faces. Like there's nobody doing what I'm doing in hip hop right now. Yeah. No, like there are plenty of people who started a newsletter and there are plenty of people who stopped writing a newsletter. Oh yeah. There were some big names who were doing newsletters during the pandemic. Like Elliot fucking Wilson had a newsletter. Oh wow. I didn't know that. Like, and it was good. Yeah. Cause you know, I don't know if you know this, but he's, he's talked to everybody. I've heard. Yeah. So he's got stories. Yeah. You know, he can he can write a really good piece. Yeah. So like there are people who've done it and there's some writers who are still doing it. And I respect people like, you know, Dan Runcie is a great example of someone who's been consistent with it. His Trapital newsletter, mm-hmm. which is more business focused, but like he has built a real niche for himself. And he kind of, and especially in the newsletter world, like the business community, the tech community, mixing in with music, it's like it's the perfect storm of all these right things. He's doing a great job with that. And and I, I respect that. But a lot of other people who write newsletters either just like do it for maybe a couple months and then they stop or they're erratic with it. And it's like, I'm not always necessarily going to hit you on the same days. And like, you know, my my schedule can be can can be unpredictable. But like in some cases, but like Thursdays, you're, you're almost certainly going to get something from me. Yeah. You're probably going to get something from me two to three times a week. Yeah. You know, it may not be exactly when you expect it, but two to three times a week, something is going to come out. And that's sort of my thing is like, you're going to get something from me. And one of those is going to include some recommendations of albums, probably have an interview in there. Some of them are going to be recommendations of some individual songs that I heard mm-hmm. that I think you might enjoy. Uh, some of them are going to be podcasts, depending on what we're working on. And just letting you know what, uh, what, we're, what we're doing on the show. So I... I don't have like a, there's no part of my mind where I'm like, I want to grow cabbages. And I know that's so silly to say something, grow grow cabbages um, so that somebody buys me. Somebody buys me out and pays for me or invests in me. I don't want an investor. I don't want some VC company deciding that I'm interesting and I want to do things. I want to just, I want to, I want to continue solving this problem that I've been trying to solve. Mm-hmm. which is how do I give coverage to artists who otherwise are not going to get coverage or will have a harder time getting coverage. So right now that's where my goals are. It's like a small number of a small percentage of our subscribers are paid subscribers. Most subscribers are free. I obviously encourage and try to get more people to sign on at a paid level, given the volume of what we're putting out between the newsletters and the podcasts. But I also recognize like just having a base of people who are reading you is is great uh, and checking out your stuff is great regardless of whether they're paying. I'm not looking at this to be um, to be my full time job at this stage. It's not like my my goal. I always as I've said, like cabbage just makes money. Yeah, it doesn't pay all of my bills, but it pays some of my bills. Mm-hmm. And that's how I frame it. And that's always that's a nice thing from a freelance perspective. It's like something that pays me. And that money comes in with a regularity. And I'm not waiting on 
somebody to pay an invoice that I sent out 45 days ago, that feels pretty good too. Yeah. So right now I'm not like sitting here thinking about like huge ambitious, like be the new uh, biggest thing out there. And I don't think that the nature of what I'm writing about would ever be that. Mm -hmm. I don't think if you're putting your focus on independent artists who aren't trying to get signed to major labels, you know, that that's going to be, that's, that's the moneymaker. It's yeah. like, no, it's like the moneymaker is trying to find the next, you know, the next ice spice, right? Mm -hmm. The moneymaker is trying to find, is trying to be, is trying to be the, the place that puts on uh, what, uh, what's popular. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So I don't approach, I don't view success that way. I would like more and more people to check out what, what we're doing, but I want them to be kindred spirits. I want mm -hmm. them to be people who are curious about music. And that at the end of the day may turn out to be 5,000 people. That's not a bad number. If that it's turns out to be the case. If, yeah. if I peak, you know, if I like right now, we're like at like 2,500 subscribers across the things. If it turns out that the, the world's capacity for what I'm doing is 5,000 people, then great. Yeah. I'm not sitting here wondering like how best to monetize this into a full-time job. Mm -hmm. that would be soul sucking in a lot of ways to me i would love to have a staff i'd love to bring other voices on and like that that's certainly something i would like to see over the next few years is to be able to kind of build on that but you know i started a personal newsletter i started one that was me and my voice it is meant to be my voice so i also have a reluctance to give up the reins if you will to other people i think where you give chance for people to have voice is the artists yeah that's why I do the interviews. That's why I write about this music in this way. And I try not to write in the first person. I don't do interviews like this very often mm -hmm. because it's not about me. It's not about, you know, my career. I'm not going to sit here and, and be like, you know, well, I've been doing this for all this time. And I know, I don't like, I know what the solution is. I know what the solution is to make a lot of money in all in, the, in this thing. And be and be like, I'd have to be having meetings with people who I can't fucking stand. Yeah, I'd have to be pretending to like shit that I absolutely abhor. I'd have to be doing a whole lot of glad handing, and I I'm not that person. Yeah, and I'm not gonna be that person. So I'm gonna keep writing this weird little newsletter for people, and the people and the responses that I get are great. And the same with the podcast. Like the podcast is like. A lot of people don't understand it. Yeah. They don't get what the fuck we're doing. But I assure you, most of the artists we talk to get it. They get it. Yeah. They understand because they say things that they don't realize. They say something and they'll be like, well, that was way more fun than a regular interview. Yeah. Oh, I really feel like I, I, I have so much more comfortable. Didn't have to like talk through my talking points or my background. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're like almost there. You almost, you're almost like, if you just go a couple more steps, you'll know exactly why we're doing this show versus every other one of these fucking shows. From the biggest fucking Joe Budden to the smallest little podcast that could. There's a reason I am doing with my friend Jeff, this very seemingly niche thing. But look at my guest list. Look at who we've booked on this show. Don't tell me I didn't put guns to anybody's head. 
I am not some accomplished industry insider who is friends with everybody. I got no friends. Like the show's premise, watch a movie, talk about it. You happen to be a rapper or a hip hop artist. So it's an interview ostensibly. And that's how you get Curly Castro talking about ghosts of Mars. That's how you get Hudson Mohawk talking about Bucky Larson born to be a star. (laughs) That's how you get a lucid talking about the leprechaun movies. So you get Billy Woods talking about Marcy X. So what I'm doing is very intentional and fully cognizant of the fact that it is not for everybody. This is niche media. This is specific. But if it is your wheelhouse, then you are going to enjoy what we're doing. And there are people who love the newsletter who do not fuck with the podcast. That is 100% people who love reading (laughs) the newsletter who are like, I don't understand why you were doing this. Yeah. I mean, we have have people that listen to our podcast that are like, you guys make terrible music. (laughs) <laughs> so <it's- laughs> no like you're you're i mean not to not to make this a mutual admiration society but like part of what i have enjoyed about what you guys do on call culture is that like you're just really adhering to your own rules yeah and so like that's why you have all these sort of side series and quests and you know now we're going to talk about like 90s butt rock or you know or now we're going to talk about <laughs> you know the the 10 worst raekwon verses you know and they're all off criminology, oddly enough. Yeah. You know, we're, shockingly. Like, shockingly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like, I love that about that because you're doing it the way that you do it. Yeah. And it's like, I have respect for people who are doing more traditional shows, you know? Like, yeah, if they do, Dad Bod Rapod, Dad Bod Rapod gets great guests. Yep. And they conduct interesting interviews. And like, that's what it is. That's a traditional, that's a more traditional show. But I will have the same guests who are on their show come on my show. And yeah. it's a very different conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I always love that kind of conversation. And when I used to have a site called Syphil, mm-hmm. and when we would interview people, it was like completely like random off. But we'd never ask them about music. Yeah. It was like, it would just be the most random questions we could think of at the time, just because. It was more fun. Yeah. And we felt it's, like we actually got a side of the artist that you wouldn't get from because you're talking to because you're talking to a person at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And they've already person. answered the same questions a thousand times. Yeah. Like an interview that asks like if you're going to do because I do for the newsletter and you know because I've interviewed you. Yeah. yeah. I will ask you process questions. I will ask yeah. you creativity questions. I will ask you about your artistry. Mm-hmm. I will ask you about these things. I talk to people and I do the straight, the, what is considered sort of the quote unquote straightforward interview. I ask you questions. We have a conversation based around that. But I try to ask things that are not just like, so, you know, so who are your guys? Mark Marin, you know, who, yeah. are your, who are your guys? Like, who, who are the people you really are you know, like into? You know, like, no, I'm not, I, I, I know, I can see in another interview who influenced you i i know who you fuck with i know who you were hanging out with yeah i didn't i don't want to ask you i mean like unless it's a compelling reason or thing i think is worth exploring further i what i'm interested in when i ask you when i do a straightforward interview with somebody has a lot more to do with like i want to get to know you as an artist Mm -hmm. and how you think and how you approach things and how you create because I think from a reader's perspective, especially since a lot of Cabbage's readers are also artists, 
they been and creative people in general. They want they want to see that. Yeah, that's actually inspiring to them. That's interesting to them. Yeah, that's compelling to them. And then if you come on the podcast, we're going to have a conversation that has nothing to do with music. Which is and if it does, it's fun. tangential. And if it does, yeah. it's tangential. But the person who listens to that is going to get a different perspective on that person. Like we had, we had Heems on the podcast to talk about Cradle to the Grave. And wow. he hated that movie so much that he like deliberately derailed the conversation <laughs> to talk about, to like for basically read Wikipedia out loud to us. Wow. And like of like rappers who've been in movies so that he could find something to talk about other than that movie. And like kudos to him. That was and the he, DMX he, movie, right? Yeah, DMX, yeah. Cradle to the Grave. He owned up to He owned up to it. He was like, I'm just reading this right now because like, I don't want to talk about this movie. And I'm like, great. Fair, great. yeah. A lucid didn't even watch them. He couldn't finish the movie that we that we uh, picked for him, the Leprechaun movie. I think he was on. Um, I think he might have been a Leprechaun in Space. Okay. Uh, he was either a Leprechaun in Space, or he was in, uh, or it was Leprechaun uh, Three. Either way, uh, he didn't finish it. And he admits he admits like halfway through the episode, he's like, or not even halfway, like first, first like ten minutes, like I I didn't finish this movie. He didn't finish it because it was so bad, or because yes, yeah, because it was so yeah. bad. And we talked, we basically we talked around mm. him in it, and he was part of the conversation. But we were just like, we're well, you're here. Yeah. We're gonna keep talking about fucking leprechaun movies. Leprechaun, like, yeah. So we're gonna do, and like, look, we've had some 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 things where like we we did a whole season of deliberately choosing bad movies and that was you know that was a real situation like people would come on and be like like why did you have me do this like why did you invite me on for this and others were just like this is crazy this is a wild ride i hated this movie but the way we talked about it made me actually kind of like it and that's weird yeah but like i'm like yeah that's what happens when it's a bunch of people get together to start talking about a thing that is like universally we're all coming at it from the same from the same level of understanding none of us are filmmakers no we all go to the movies we all watch movies there that's we're there so yeah yeah sometimes you get a good movie sometimes you get a bad movie yeah and sometimes the bad movies are better than the good movies sometimes the bad movies are the best ones i'm a big yeah. fan of b movies i love a b movie yeah yeah i have i i don't know if we spoke about it but when you were first talking about the the bad movie series did mm. you all end up doing jack frost no, we didn't end up doing Jack Frost. It was on the it's like we basically set it up so like Jeff and I kept separate lists. Okay. And every week one it was like we went back and forth. So I would pick a he picked a movie, and then I picked a movie. Okay. So we did that. But we never knew what the other person was going to pick. Wow. Okay. So it was like we like I know some people would be like, like, oh, you know, I'm like, I had no idea what he was gonna choose. We only knew what the first two movies of that season were gonna be. Yeah. I knew he was gonna pick Tremors. And I and he knew I was going to pick uh, Bucky Larson, born to be a okay. star. He knew that. Beyond that, we said nothing. Nice. And then over the course of the season, it's just like we were trying to find things. And so, like Jack Frost is on the list. And I think after we finished the season, we did sort of share some of our our picks with each other separately, just to be like, well, this is something we thought about doing. Okay. And it's like, okay, interesting, interesting. Like that would have been that would have been a really messed up episode. Like well, we did. Um, what did we do? We did. Um, and we did Ghost of Mars, Ghost of Mars, with Castro, Dark yeah. with Castro, and like Ghost of Mars would have been a movie that would be perfect for Bad Movie Battle. Yeah, as would of Rollerball, which we did with Blockhead. Yeah. Like those would have been. They, their Rotten Tomato scores were terrible, and the movies were 
not great. <laughs> like not great. it would have been did have possibly the best name ever in that movie. Yeah, he did. Desolation because, Jackson. Be, yeah, Desolation Williams because Williams. That's right, Desolation. Desolation Williams, Williams because Snake Plissken was taken. Yeah, such a good name. Yeah. I had it as my screen name for a while. No, Desolation Williams is, is a dope is a is a dope name, and like it's uh, uh, we said on that episode, just like you get through that movie in the very end of the film, it's like there he is, Ice Cube and Natasha Henstrich are like geared up ready to go fight some martian ghosts or whatever the fuck those things were at the very <laughs> end and like i want the sequel the sequel seems more interesting than the movie we just watched did they make so, a sequel like, for it no oh, okay. john carver didn't make another movie for 10 years after that yeah i, I mean like, i figured someone ran away would make it. no yeah. no one made that movie no. and, then, wow. and then ice cube like there's like fight. five jack frosts that's why yeah. I assume that, you know. Oh God. And we've I mean look, and that's not even like even as as bad as some of those things are, there are movies we've done that have just been like the literal worst you could possibly have. Like we did like we did the ginger dead man. Oh wow. We did the ginger dead man. We had our a good friend of ours, uh Ham Whaley, <laughs> uh, who's a who's a chef and kind of food media personality. We had him on to do our Christmas episode and we did okay. the ginger dead man with him. Wow. And like Truly one of the worst things you could ever watch. I'm sure. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And like, yeah, it's like, there's that whole like sort of Charles Band cinematic uh, thing of uh, you get like Evil Bong and mm-hmm. the Ginger Dead Man and all these other really just like Puppet Master. Yeah. It's many, many movies. Like it's, it's rough. It's yeah. rough. I could say that. I, I've but, been wanting um, to do an episode of Call Out Culture for Snakes Out of Compton. Okay. Yeah. Which all right. I was amazed that it existed. I haven't watched yeah. it yet, but uh, you know, no. I mean, look, we've also like, we, and this season that we're doing now, we, we called it rapper movie season. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people who have kind of caught on, have caught on to kind of what we're doing with that. It's like, we are basically covering movies where rappers are either in front of or behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I think a lot of people, if they were taking that approach, would have like immediately started with a belly, yeah, or you know, or a state property, or I got the hookup, or what. And we've we've taken a different tack with it. The movies it's a good tack to take is what we say with it because it is sort of like I want to over the course of this season really probe your idea of what a rapper movie can be because mm-hmm. rappers are doing all sorts of things and yeah. all different kinds of movies. Yeah. So like, yeah, it can be a state property. It can be paid in full. Yeah. But it could also be LL Cool J in a botched reboot of a 1970s dystopian uh, extreme sports film. Yeah. It can be that. It can be, be kind rewind. It could be be kind rewind, which yeah, like um, a little art house film, which we just did an episode of. Oh wow! It hasn't come out yet. It'll be out. Uh, it'll be out. But I'm sure by the time this goes up, it'll be out. We did nice. be kind rewind uh, with uh, Blinds Brixton was our was our guest for that one. Okay, uh, and she's uh, she's amazing. And we did a we did an episode that was very it's very uncharacteristic that episode compared to some of the other ones because we are like we all love it. We loved the movie. Such and a good we were movie. Just filled with fucking joy around it. Yeah. But it's like if you look at like i mean if you're and like we're trying to say like one rapper per episode so like we focus like so like every rapper rapper we do like it's not gonna be like okay we're not gonna do like three snoop dogg movies we're gonna do one mm-hmm. yeah you know um although we did take the dmx movie crowd to the grave and we called it the drag on episode so that we can okay. do a dmx movie later um 
just because nice. dragon's in it he's in it it counts there you go. yeah but we did uh we did be kind rewind and it's yasin bay and you know obviously if you look at his that was like towards the end of his film career yeah. before yeah. he before he changed his name before he kind of went to africa and you know, and you know before obviously before where things are now but like he had done like so many different movies before that mm-hmm. and different types of films like he did like he was Ford Prefect in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. He was in Bamboozled. He had yeah. did he did what did was 16 blocks with Bruce Willis. Like he had done this wide range of movies. He we chose young Ordell Ro- Roby from uh yes. yeah, which was amazing. <laughs> so like there's that's a great example. Like you may think that that's like I, well, part of what we talked about in that episode was just like realizing the breadth of his of his filmography mm-hmm. and being like, but you don't think of him when I say rapper movie for say, you don't necessarily think of him. You have rappers in film. You start thinking and probing, you can get there. But like if someone tells you a rapper movie, you start thinking about some of the more ubiquitous folks. But yeah. it's like, actually, this is a lot, a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. And there's some really um, there's like obviously there's you know, you get your your juggalo fair. There's definitely stuff like that out there. Um, there's definitely um, uh, films where um, maybe like there's disorderlies exists. Yeah, disorderlies. Yeah. Wow, disorderlies exists. Cool as ice exists. Cool as ice does exist. Yeah. yeah. So like, does uh, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Exactly. He's well, in, in there as well. He, well, he's in he's in two. In two, right? Yeah. Secret of the Zoom. MC is Hammer. It? MC Hammer is your first one. Okay. Two also in the Adams family, right? Or did he just do the soundtrack for the Adams family? He just did the Adams family. Is I think he's in the sequel. So Adams okay. family values to do the yeah. song. The, uh, no, hold on. Yeah, Adams family groove was the song. From okay, that. right. Yeah. This is the shit that I know. This is why I do that show because I can remember weird shit like that. Um. So yeah, we're, we're there's there's we're having fun with it, and the guests seem to largely enjoy the experience, even if they hate the movie because. It is, it's a fun hang and like sort of like, I I like that that's part of what Cabbages has become, that it's the kind of thing where like, yes, I can have a very serious process driven conversation with an artist and talk about how they create and how they think about things. But I can also start with the same artist, smoke weed and be like, so like, what did you feel about Ice Cube's performance when he was shooting all those Martians? What did you what did, what did you think about that? And the conversations just they go if if for for those of you who haven't listened like just pick an episode based on an artist or a movie that you are curious about that you've seen or an artist that you that you enjoy and just listen to what they say about the movie. Yeah, it's just, it's definitely it, worthwhile. It's it's different. It's different. Yeah. I think that's a good note to end things. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks oh, for wait, I, I had one more question for you and, and right, I, I'm sure I already know the answer. But, okay. Uh, it's a quick one. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just gotta, I gotta open my yeah, yeah. Goddamn notes. Um, it's just let's see, let's moment. see what your research pulled up. Okay. So this was the only one that came up that wasn't you that I, I don't think was you, but okay. there's a, a Gary Suarez in the professional mm-hmm. disc golf association of America. Oh yeah, that's one of the few other Gary Suarez's that exist. There's not a lot of people with my name. Yeah, there's a handful. One is one is that guy. Okay, so, a, so you're not the disc golfist. I'm not. There's okay. a chef. There's a chef 
Yeah, so the chef somewhere well, yeah. who's who exists. Um, there's also a a, a, a reggaeton artist. Okay. Um, there's also I a real estate agent in Florida. Yeah, that's yeah. not me either. No, yeah, I I'm none of those people. My yeah. name has become a little more common over time, but like it's still a pretty your nickname. Most of the things you see on the internet, if you Google my name, are me. But those things okay, do come yeah. up. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, those things do come up. Gary is like Gary is a man of a certain age. Yes, right? like right? that's a name <laughs> of a certain era. <laughs> but this reggaeton guy, like he's he's younger yeah. than me. Really? And I'm like, okay. good for him. Like it must have yeah. been a family name or whatever. I don't know, but like, okay, go for it, man. Keep that nice. name alive. We, we I, I. Could always use somebody's identity to steal when I run out of money. I mean, especially a successful reggaeton artist. Well, he's not successful necessarily, okay. but yeah. you know, yeah. But who knows? Yeah. He gets big. And Keep that I in can, your back pocket. You never. I can make some. I can eat. make some. Uh, some restaurant reservations. And there you go. Yeah, that happens. You know. There you go. So cool. I uh, I do appreciate your time. Um, I feel like I took more of it than I I said I was going to, but no, it's fine. It it's fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And. I'm going to stop recording, but I just have one more question yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. So thank you again for spending your time during this uh, experiment and content. Um, I've enjoyed doing these interviews. I'll probably pick up the series again. Uh, there's a few people I still want to talk to. Um, so look for that in the fall. And um, as always, you know, hit us with a rate, like, and review. Uh, it helps us out. You've heard that from all the podcast people ever. And we have a uh, Patreon as well, which is uh, really fun. You get everything a little bit early uh, and you get the opportunity to uh, interact with us. We have things like fantasy football. Uh, we have fantasy basketball. We're going to be adding some more content. We have exclusive content that goes up on there as well. So, you know, get with us and uh, it'll be cool.